0: Thank you.
1: everybody welcome to the show boy oh boy do we have some good news today we got a lot of good news today um we got the studio in a little bit of a different configuration i shifted the i shifted the desk over to the right gave myself a little bit more room behind the desk which is nice it's, uh, it's a lot easier to walk back here i don't have to shimmy my way through um and Instead of having my Kyle Klinsky show sign over my right-hand shoulder, it's over my left-hand shoulder, and uh, the TV monitor is out of the way, the reason I did that is because, I-, I think I mentioned this on the previous show, but my Mac that I always use for the graphics is broken, and so I had to send it out to get repaired, and it's currently getting repaired, and so I, uh, I redid the studio in this configuration, and I'm not going to lie to you guys. I like it better. Like, I actually think it looks better. The studio, the way it's looking right now, I think is better than what it was before, even though there's no monitor, which means there's no graphics. But, um, yeah, I'm feeling this, dude, and I'm curious to see everybody, you know, what everybody else says, what everybody else thinks, um, because, I don't know, I think it's pretty sweet. We're, out, we're in the corner of the room, as opposed to being, you know, in the middle of the room. It looks a little bit more podcasty, which is sort of like the vibe that I always preferred. I always prefer more of a podcasty feel than like an official TV-type feel. Um, I got my my microphone arm back in business here. It's no longer the one that's in front of me. It's sitting on a box that you guys pointed out is like a wireless charger box, which is kind of hilarious. So, uh, yeah, it's it's exciting. I'm actually really excited for the way that we configured this. And I'm also really excited because of what is happening in the world of politics today. A lot of good stuff a lot of good stuff. So without further ado, let's go ahead and jump into it. I'm not going to tease you with anything because you probably have a good sense of what we're going to talk about anyway, but let's do it. So the Georgia races were last night, and um, I have to say, as I did say on Twitter before we got the results rolling in, I honestly had no earthly idea what was going to happen. None whatsoever. Zero. And, you know, usually when we talk about different elections, I have some sense of how it's going to go, or at the very least, based on the data I've seen, I've developed some kind of an opinion. This was one of, the, one of the races where I was utterly clueless. You could flip a coin. Just flip a coin. I thought any outcome was possible. I thought it's possible that the Republicans win both seats. I thought it's possible that the Democrats win both seats. I thought it's possible they split the ticket. I thought it's possible they split the ticket in either direction. Um, so what ended up happening is it looks right now, as if the Democrats have officially won one of the races, that's the Warnock versus Leffler race. Um, That one has been called by pretty much everybody. I don't know if there's anybody who hasn't called it. Um, And then in the Ossoff versus Purdue race, um, Ossoff is up and some outlets have already called it for Ossoff, others are are waiting until we get the final like 1% to roll in. or actually 2% because it's 98% of the vote in, at least as of like an hour ago or so. Um, So some outlets have called that one for Ossoff as well. Others are holding off, but it's looking very likely that Ossoff is going to win that because he's already up and the votes that are coming in are from majority Democratic areas. So it's looking good for the Democrats, man, and this would mean that the Democrats have taken control of the Senate, which means that now they have no excuse not to actually do good things. Now they don't have a scapegoat. I mean, what they're going to try to do, what they'll try to say is, oh, the Republicans are blocking us and they're going to filibuster everything, and since they're filibustering everything, we can't get anything done. But that's kind of bullshit because they could pass a lot of stuff through budget reconciliation, which means you only need 51 votes to pass it. You don't need the 60. The 60 is what you need if they filibuster, but if you go through budget reconciliation for a lot of these different things, which you can, then all you need is 51 votes, and they have 51 votes. So As everybody was talking about yesterday on Twitter, overnight, now Joe Manchin is the most powerful person in the country. Joe Manchin, the most conservative Democrat, is now the most powerful person in the country, and I don't think it's even close. So um, we're going to have to use a lot of pressure, and we're going to have to make these people fall in line, and we're going to have to make them do our bidding. Now, how, how did this race unfold? Like, How did we get to this point? Why is it that it looks like the Democrats picked up both seats? I have three answers to that. The first one is pretty simple. Uh, according to all the numbers we have at this point, the African-American turnout in Georgia was through the roof. It was a colossal turnout among black voters in Georgia. So that helped the Democrats. The other thing is, Trump is scaring the pants off of the suburbs. You know how in the 2020 election with Biden, one of the more interesting dynamics is that, um, Biden took from Trump's core base, which is like suburban middle-class and upper middle-class white people. Like that's why Biden was able to win Georgia or I'm sorry. That's not why Biden was able to win Georgia. There's different reasons for why Biden was able to win Georgia in the 2020 race. Um, but he was able to win Arizona. He was able to win Arizona because he took from that Trump suburban vote, which was previously a lockup for him. And then, you know, Biden swept in and put a big dent in Trump's lock on the suburbs. And what we saw in this race is a similar dynamic where now the suburbs are like, they're done with Trump. It's only Trump's most hardcore supporters who happen to be and I don't know how to say this word, everybody makes fun of me because I suck at saying it, rural. 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 Rural voter. Rural. Fuck. <laughs> I don't know how to say it. Rural voters um, support Trump overwhelmingly. They're part of that, like, hardcore right-wing base that's never going to abandon him. Um, but suburban voters are done with him. And it's interesting because, again, anecdotally, I've seen this in my life, too, where I have family members who were previously big-time Trump supporters, and then even they have turned on him post this election where they're like, dude, you got to get over it. You lost the race. Like, we're not going to tank American democracy over the ego of a reality star real estate buffoon. Like, we're just not going to do that. We're not going to destroy the country and our, you know, constitutional Republican representative democracy because this guy's throwing a tantrum, and he doesn't know how to take an L. So, and again, these are people who are strong Trump supporters, in my opinion, in my family who switched on him. Now, again, that's anecdotal, but the data is bearing it out in terms of how much the suburbs are abandoning him. So those are the first two things. I think they're important. Black turnout was through the roof. Trump is scaring the suburbs, uh, and, like, the flight of the suburbs to the Democratic Party is, you know, it's it's a real trend. It's a real trend, and it's something that the Republicans need to fear. Um, But beyond that, and this might be the most important reason why I think the Democrats ended up pulling this out, And it was Crystal Ball who first pointed this out to me, and I think she's 100% correct. $2,000 checks was the closing message from Democrats. In other words, they went full economic populist in the closing, you know, three weeks of this campaign. You had John Ossoff, you had Warnock, you even had Biden, and we're going to get to that story a little bit later too. You even had Biden out there saying, listen, Democrats win the Senate. If Democrats win the Senate, we're passing $2,000 checks and we're doing it immediately. So do you want help or do you not want help? Do you want relief? Do you want stimulus money? Do you want to be able to pay the rent and pay the mortgage or not? If you want to do that, you vote Democratic. We're going to be able to do that. So listen, they're on the record. It is crystal clear. There is no backpedaling from this. And if they do backpedal from this, then, you know, you could say whatever the hell you want to say about the Democrats because they're shooting themselves in the foot and they're, turning their back on the most straightforward promise they ever made. So the real move now is you promise the $2,000 checks, you go through budget reconciliation, even if you lose Manchin, which I don't know if you will, you might not lose Manchin with the $2,000 checks, but even if you lose him, you get Hawley. And so you're going to have the 51 votes. So listen, they promised the $2,000 check. That was their closing message. Now we're going to see whether or not they meant it or if they're all talk and if they're complete fraud liars. And if they don't pass the $2,000 check, complete fraud liars is the answer. But if they have a modicum of integrity and respect left anywhere in their pathetic bodies, then they're going to do this, and that's a giant win. And listen, I'll reserve judgment until I see what they do, Um, but if they do it, then keep it real, man, it's all worth it. It was all worth it. It was worth it for the Democrats to win back the Senate. It was worth it for Biden to become president. Um, Now, here's why I didn't know how this election was going to unfold. Because I thought it was a little more complicated than the, the way Crystal Ball laid it out. Um, because Trump came out for the $2,000 checks, so I thought people would think, well, Trump is for it, so maybe the Republicans will give us the $2,000 checks. Trump forced Perdue and Leffler to that place where they were like, yeah, I support the $2,000 checks. Um, so I thought it was a little more complicated. But no, it turns out the American people really were following it, and they realized who's most responsible for blocking the $2,000 checks. It's a man by the name of Mitch McConnell. Because Trump said, I want $2,000. Pelosi said, bet, I'm going to pass that through the House right now. They passed it through the House, and then it was sitting with Mitch McConnell. And Mitch McConnell put a poison pill in the bill, or poison pills, I should say, the Section 230 thing he put in there. And he put in maybe the thing about renaming the Confederate bases and tanked it on purpose. His point was to tank it on purpose. And the American people were following this close enough because people are hurting so much that they were like, oh, I see who the problem is here. The problem is clearly Mitch McConnell. The problem is the Republicans. And even though Trump came out at the last minute for $2,000 checks, he's gone. So Biden says he's going to do it. They tell me if the Democrats win the Senate, they're going to do it. Okay, so here we go, baby. Let's go. Let's let's do it. Let's do the $2,000 checks. So what does this show you? It shows you what we've been screaming from the rooftops from day one, which is economic populism is the way to go. If you run on economic populism, people will go, oh, that's pleasant. I think that will help me. I want to vote for the person who's going to materially help me. And so here we are. They voted for the people who said they're going to materially help them. Um, I mean, this this is great. This is great for the Democrats. This is terrible for the Republicans. They're now caught. They're caught in a weird place because the party's fracturing right in front of our eyes. You have the Trump right, and then you have the more establishment right, and there's a big split that's opening up more and more as we talk, and it looks like the GOP is headed for a civil war, and um, yummy in my tummy. That's not to say the Democrats have it all figured out. That's not to say the Democrats don't have internal strife. Of course they do. Of course they do. You have the left. There's a lot of tension between the left, who actually believes in Medicare for all and free college and a living wage and ending the wars and all these good things, Green New Deal, and the corporate Democrats who are just neoliberals, you know, who are fine with the status quo. There's a big fracture on the left, but there's been. There's been for a long time. On the right now, this is the beginning of an internal fight, that the likes of which we haven't seen in a long time, in in my lifetime maybe, maybe in my lifetime. So anyway, really good news for the Democrats, really good news for the American people insofar as they do the $2,000 checks. And hey, Moving forward, maybe you learn a lesson. The lesson is, if I materially help the American people or, or promise to do that, they will reward me. So, listen, credit to Bernie, too, and to Hawley, because they dragged that Overton window back to the left. As soon as they came out and unapologetically argued for, originally Bernie wanted to do the $2,000 a month, and he was signed on to that bill with Connell Harris, of all people, who then never said another word about it, but I digress. But then Hawley and Bernie brought back up $1,200 checks. When the consensus in D.C. was, let's do a stimulus bill with no stimulus checks, Bernie and Hawley stepped up and they were like, how about no? How about we do $1,200 checks just like the last time? How about that? And so what happened was the the negotiations behind the scenes went from $0 in stimulus checks for people, and then Bernie and Hawley dragged them to $600 for the American people, and then Trump jumped in at the last minute and said $2,000, and so now we're at a place where 2000 is front and center. Biden was dragged to the $2,000 position. The, the Georgia candidates were dragged to the $2,000 position. Even Leffler and Purdue, kicking and screaming, were dragged to that position. So it became the political consensus. And now the Democrats won on that promise. So run on materially helping people. Run on giving people cash in the middle of a depression. And it works out for you. I mean, you're taking a state that's generally viewed as a red state, and now you just flipped it blue. It voted for Biden- against Trump and now voted for Ossoff, although we'll see, that's not 100% final yet, but it's close. And they voted for Warnock. That one is final. And by the way, Purdue and Leffler are two of the most corrupt people in all of Washington, D.C. And that's saying a lot, because you know that that place is just packed full of corrupt motherfuckers. They are bad. Remember, Leffler's the one who, you know, she started selling stocks like crazy when they had that internal meeting before COVID really hit hard, and senators were told, COVID's going to hit really hard, and this thing is going to tank the market. Do with that information whatever you will. They immediately panic-sold a bunch of stocks. Millions of dollars worth, I believe. And, and by the way, she was never elected. She basically bought that seat. She bought that seat. And her husband's also engaged in all these massively corrupt deals. And on top of that, her personality is basically anti-charisma. It's the opposite of charisma. And Warnock seems, at least insofar as he ran his campaign, Good. So, listen, the good takeaway from this election is that it actually makes sense. You know what I mean? Like, it makes sense in the sense that the people who were aggressively campaigning on $2,000 checks won. The people who want to materially improve your, your life won. Um, the Republican side was comically corrupt. The Democratic side, at least, at least Warnock, Ossoff's a slightly different story. But he, he was running a campaign that was actually sort of really good running against war, running for health care for everybody. These were the old sermons they dug up. The Republicans dug up these old sermons of Warnock, and everything he said was awesome. And they're like, aha, we got him. You got him what? Because he was against the Iraq War? What are you, crazy? So uh, this result makes the world make sense a little bit more. But now, but now, remember, don't let anybody gaslight you on this point. I hate using that word, gaslighting. It's so overused. But what we need to do now, don't take any shit from the Democrats. You have to go 100% at the Democrats' jugular and let them know, we're not playing around. We're going to have to make you do all the good things that you pretended to be in favor of. We're going to make you actually be in favor of those things. So don't let anybody try to play the rah-rah Team Democrat thing on you. Make them do the stuff they said they were going to do. But either way, it's a positive result. Everybody should be happy about this. And $2,000 checks may very likely be on the way shortly. Okay, next. Next, next, next. Here we go. So with the results in the Georgia runoff election, um, there really is going to be a giant fracture, a giant split in the Republican Party. So Eric Trump went on Fox News, and this is the opening shot across the bow if I've ever seen one.
2: tell you a lot about the country because I, I, I can tell you, Sean, any senator or any congressman that does not, meaning on this side, that does not fight tomorrow, I'm telling you will not, their political career is, is, is over because um, the MAGA movement is going, it's going nowhere. My father's created the greatest political movement in American history, and I'm telling you they will get primaries the next time around, and they will lose um, if they don't stand up and
3: show some backbone and show some conviction.
1: Here's why this is awesome. What they're trying to do is the Justice Democrats' approach to the Democratic Party. They're trying to do that with the Republican Party. But here's the difference, and this is a big difference. For the Trump people, it's not ideological. So in other words, it's not like Eric Trump is saying, here's our position on free trade. We want to keep jobs in the U.S. Other Republicans want to outsource the jobs. If they don't come to our position on free trade, we're going to primary them and we're going to win. He's not saying that. He's not tying it to war. He's not tying it to regulation. He's not tying it to any particular policy issues. What he's saying is, if you're not sufficiently sycophantic to my daddy, we're coming for you. Now, what does he mean though? Like, How does he want them to be sycophantic? He wants them to contest the election result. The election result that was counted and then recounted in a lot of the key states like Georgia, and then recounted again in a lot of the key states, and then certified by the Electoral College, and then now it's going through just a formal proceeding. This is not substantive in any way. The election's over, but it's going to be approved by Congress now. Again, it doesn't matter if they approve it or not. It's just, it's just tradition that they go through that. He wants Republican senators and Republican congressmen to object to the results of a Democratic election. Listen, they had their day in court, dog. You know this, I know this. They went to court, what is it, over 50 cases, over 60 cases, and they won one on some procedural nonsense? But like, you know, over 99% of the cases, actually, I'm not good at math, maybe it's not 99%, they, (laughs) they won all but one of the cases. The Biden side won all but one of the cases, and the one that they lost was irrelevant. It didn't change the outcome at all. So you had your day in court. So what are you asking for? What he's asking for is, Come out against the Democratic result or face our wrath, face the wrath of the most hardcore 20 percent or 30 percent block of the country that makes up Trump's base that will abandon him. Never. I mean, it's a big ask. It's saying, hey, come out in favor of authoritarianism and against democracy or we're coming for you. And guess what? The Republicans are terrified of this. They're terrified of it. Now, to my surprise, the numbers are still relatively low in terms of who's going to contest the election. It's something like 11 senators or 13 senators at, at most. Um, I thought there was a chance Trump could get over 50% of the re- elected Republicans to be on his side in the house. It'll be, I don't know what percentage is going to be in the house, but I suspect more in the house than are in the Senate are going to contest this thing. Um, and that's pathetic, but it's also like, exactly what you should want if you're on the left because you're going to see an insane civil war on the right you're going to have the trumpist right versus the establishment right and it's going to get ugly and it's even harder to resolve these disputes if it's not policy-based and it's not policy-based it's trump cult-based so what's going to happen listen i told you you have like you have like the Mitt romney wing of the party which is like hey get over this guy, get past this guy, he's tanking the whole party, and, you know, he's trying to go back to, like, GOP classic, which is not good, don't get it twisted, they're still wrong on, like, virtually every actual policy issue, but he's trying to get back to some of the norms and the decorum, and then you're going to have the Trump right, somebody like Ted Cruz falls more in line with that, you know, the people who are basically out there trying to pretend like they are him when they give speeches and they tweet and whatnot, Um, they're going to act like, oh, the election result is fraudulent. And by the way, a lot of the people who are saying that on the right, like Ted Cruz, Ted Cruz and Josh Hawley know the election isn't fraudulent. They know that's bullshit. They're doing it for purely cynical political reasons because they want to be president at some point. That's why they're doing it. There are others who are dumb enough to really believe it. Like I think Marsha Blackburn and Louie Gohmert are dumb enough to believe all the conspiracies about Dominion voting machines and Venezuela secretly controlled our election and all that stuff. But it's going to be a fight, dog. It's going to be a fight are going to be at each other's throats and, um, buckle up, get ready for it because he's, he's letting you know in advance. He's saying, if you don't do the things we want you to do, if you don't fall in line and support my dad, if you're not pro authoritarianism, then we're going to primary you. And guess what? These guys still have a lot of juice with the hardcore base of the party. They do. They do. But if that side, uh, if that side wins, we already see electorally, Trump's not doing well anymore because he totally lost the suburbs. So there really is going to be a giant fight behind the scenes. It's going to be Trumpism versus standard Republicanism, Republican classic ideology. That's what it's going to be. And um, I can't wait to watch it. I can't wait. By the way, it doesn't matter who wins in that fight because they're both terrible. (laughs) Like both sides of that are absolutely terrible. But um, with a fractured right possible the democrats could get a lot done if they actually believed in anything and wanted to fight for anything which are big questions gigantic questions um but let's see it let's see the disintegration of the right the crumbling of the right right in front of our eyes because i'm telling you man that's sort of what's happening and it's going to get ugly and we can cheer it on from the sidelines the next fight is going to involve mike pence because they want mike pence to somehow overturn the election results on his own he can't do And he's not going to do it because he can't do it. And so then all the Trump people are going to turn on Pence. They're going to eat each other. And it's going to be glorious. Okay. Let me actually change the lights behind me.
3: Changing the lights behind me, bitch. Changing the lights behind me, bitch. Changing the lights behind me,
1: bitch. Everybody changing my lights. So the results in Georgia in the runoff election, they were a pleasant surprise. I had no idea what was going to happen in that race. But seeing the result, it makes the world make sense a little bit more. Um, What Republicans have been doing is going after Raphael Warnock when he says incredibly reasonable things. So I want to show you a video that uh, came to my attention last night because this is a lot of what Warnock's old sermons were like, and these things are controversial to Republican politicians.
0: The problem with folks who live inside of gates, gates in front in front of our churches. The gates we build in front of our communities. I'm not hating on those of you who live in a gated community. I'm talking about a mindset this morning. What I need you to recognize is that there are some conditions for which there are no gated communities. I'm so sick and tired of all of these folks talking about socialistic medicine. You're giving in
1: That's a sermon on how universal health care is great. That's a sermon on uh, just an outright defense of, quote-unquote, socialized medicine. That's what that is. I'm telling you, man, it's absolutely incredible. Every single video I've seen of Warnock is him making great points and the right pretending to be outraged over it. We covered one the other day. Fox News wrote an article where they were outraged that, Warnock gave a sermon in 2007 or 2008, around that time, and he said, like, America needs to repent for the Iraq War. So you have a preacher saying, health care is good and war is bad. And the response from the right was, "Oh ah,
4: my goodness.
1: See, what did I tell you guys? I've been telling you this forever. If you argue, if you're unapologetic in arguing for your values and you have left values... What you do is you bait the Republicans into attacking you on your strengths. And that's exactly what you want them to attack you on, on your strengths. Like, here's an example of the opposite. When Bernie's so honest that sometimes he's a little too honest and there's, like, zero political calculation. Like, when he, when he famously said, like, yeah, the Boston bomber should be able to vote. And then that was the headline for the next week and, you know, the overwhelming majority of the country doesn't agree with that position. Now, you can say he's right in principle. I'm not arguing on the substance of that. But you don't lead in politics with your most controversial takes, and expect to like win, that's not how it works. The way you do politics is I'm going to tell people where I agree with them and and where that position is the overwhelming majority position. So here are two examples, universal healthcare, Medicare for all, and ending the wars. The polls are not even close on that. Like nobody in the entire country doesn't want to end the wars at this point. Everybody wants to end the wars. Uh, and then when it comes to universal health care, we know Medicare for all, 70% popularity. So here he is, and I'm not saying this was a political calculation on his part, but he just ended up working like this. He says, war is bad, health care is good, and then the right feigns outrage. Oh my God, he thinks war is bad and health care is good. I disagree. So that's what reactionaries do. You can bait a reactionary into disagreeing with you on your strengths, and then guess what? After they try to play the fake outrage card, and it comes back to you, what do you say? You're doing fake outrage. Do I believe war is bad? Yes, I do. Do I believe health care is good? Yes, I do. And then what happens? People are like, yeah, that guy makes a lot of sense. And these other idiots seem like they're flailing all over the place, and they have no coherent message, and they're just a mess. That's right. That's exactly right. And we just happen to be in a situation where Leffler and Perdue, the two Republicans running in Georgia, they're like, comic book villains. Leffler didn't even win her seat. She was appointed to her seat. She's mega rich. She she never should have been in a position like this. She was profiteering off of, you know, COVID-19 right before the crash. She was told the market's going to crash and she sold a bunch of stock and made millions from it. Her husband's out there doing corrupt deals with China and other, you know, foreign countries. And they're a mess. They're a mess. They're terrible. And so here you had A candidate who seemingly believes in stuff, right? He seemingly believes in in what he's talking about here. He's arguing for good things, and now the world makes a little more sense because that guy ended up winning. You know, Ossoff's a little bit of a different case. He's not as good as Warnock, at least in terms of how he campaigned, but he's definitely better than Purdue. and it looks like he's going to pull it out as well, although that's not 100% yet. Warnock is 100% that he won. Um, But I love this. Guys, this is what you do. Don't be afraid of your own shadow if you're on the left. Don't be afraid of it. If somebody's trying to, like, act like it's an outrageous position to be in favor of Medicare for all, or it's an outrageous position to want to end the wars, or it's an outrageous position to want to, like, have a living wage, or it's an outrageous position to want the $2,000 checks, this is where your response is, no, it's not, and you're an idiot. Sometimes that's all you got to do. So all of these attempts to, like, got you, Warnock, backfired. They backfired massively. So take note, guys, take note. We're learning a lot as to how to move forward, how to fight for the people, how to campaign. You know, the Democrats' closing message in these races was two thousand dollar checks are good and we're in favor of them. If you vote for us, we're gonna get you those checks. That was the closing message. And they won. So let the right engage in their civil war, Trump people versus the establishment Republican people. Let that happen. Let them beat each other's throats. And uh, we're, we're learning lessons on what the most productive way to move forward is, and I think Warnock shows us a great path because he keeps baiting his opponents into attacking him on his strengths. Okay. Next. Gotta change my colors
3: again. Gotta change my colors again, bitch. Gotta change my colors again, bitch.
1: Okay. Next, here we go. CNN spoke to some crazy Trump supporters. Um, I believe this was in Georgia just before Election Day. And, I mean, I think this is actually really eye-opening for some people out there. It, It goes to show you, whatever you assume other people are thinking... Just, just don't. Don't even try to assume what other people are thinking, because if you ask them, you'll get some surprising answers. Here are some Trump supporters on what they think is going to happen on Inauguration Day and beyond.
3: Trump will eventually accept that that Biden is uh, next no,
4: president. No, he's not the next president. Trump is the next president. I'm going to be inauguration for Trump. i have booked it before the election because I have faith he's going to be there and he's going to be doing. He's going to be elected.
3: So he, he'll be president for two more weeks. No, he will be president till 2024. In Georgia, Republicans run the elections, right? Yes. Secretary of State, all that. Dave said they've investigated, investigated, they've counted three or four times. Right. And they said Biden is still one you accept that.
5: No, not all Republicans are good people just because they're Republicans. Trump is keep saying that he
3: didn't actually lose, that the election was stolen. Do you think it's just time for him to, to give up and, and let yeah. Biden
4: take over? Step up and say, let's away.
3: Yeah, let, it, let all right. him do
4: his job. Yeah,
3: you're one of the, <laughs> you're one of the only people today I was willing to hear who said that. But why do you think that's important? Because there's the one who is the better person. Will you accept? Joe Biden as president? No, he'll never be my president. Okay. But you know, you accept that he's going to be inaugurated. No, I don't. I mean, how could that change at this point? Well, it could be civil war. You never know. You don't actually want a civil war,
1: do you? I don't. Show
3: us the voting machines. Show us the ballots. Show us that this was a fair election, or we'll never accept another vote again, ever.
1: Yeah, but they did show you all those things. They showed you them repeatedly. We had more than one recount in Georgia, I think it was, right? There, were, there was more than one recount in some states. Not only that, this thing went to court over 50 times, and virtually every single time, Trump's side lost. Whenever they had to actually present evidence for their claims, everything crumbled. Everything crumbled. So they say these things, and it's like, do you have you not been following any of what's been happening? Because, guys, ultimately, it's not that close. Like, Biden has 306 electoral votes. That's the same margin that Trump beat Hillary by. That wasn't close in terms of the Electoral College. And when it comes to the popular vote with Biden, it's even more extreme. Biden won the popular vote by about 7 million votes. 7 million! That's, you know, that's about double Hillary's margin. How Hillary won the popular vote. Biden doubled that lead. So, like, what more do you want? What more do you want? And this gets to the most important fact in this conversation, which is propaganda works. It really does. And what happened was there's some percentage of the Republican base that came down to reality to some extent, you know, where they were like, I can't, I can't go one step further down the Trump path because he's just going too far now. And a lot of the stuff he's saying makes no sense. But there's some percentage of the Republican base that decided to, you know, drink the Kool-Aid at Jonestown. That's what they're doing. And they're watching One American News Network all day long. They're watching Newsmax all day long. And what they're learning is everybody else in the world is wrong and dumb and lying and in on a big conspiracy. And you're the only ones that have the truth. And it's gotten so extreme now, guys, that it's at the point where people are even saying, no, I don't even think Biden's going to get sworn in. I don't think that's what's going to happen. I think Trump is going to get another four years. Imagine saying that to a camera because now, like, you're held accountable when people see what happens in objective reality. So when Biden actually is getting inaugurated, like, what are these people going to do? What, is, there, is their head going to explode on their shoulders? Do they really not understand that this is going nowhere, that what they're saying is not going to happen? And the answer is no, because propaganda works. They really believe that it's only Newsmax. And there's only one American News Network, and it's only some, like, random QAnon podcaster who are telling me the truth. And everybody else in the world is wrong. CNN is wrong. MSNBC is wrong. Fox News is wrong. Some people that they used to trust, they think they're wrong now. They think, you know, virtually every other new media outlet is wrong. Every print publication is wrong. They really believe that to the point where they'll say it to a camera. And that just goes to show you, like, trust in – trust in – in every level of our society has eroded. It's gone, it's gone. Nobody trusts any of our institutions. And this is an area where I'm not just blaming these people for sort of being dupes and just not being that bright. Although there is a conversation to be had there, of course, but I digress. It's also the fact that yeah, all of our institutions have been screwing these people for so long, our media has been lying to these people for so long that they are searching out alternatives to try to give them the truth, and they just happen to settle on outlets that are even bigger bullshitters, even bigger liars, who have no idea what they're talking about. But what's amazing is, just like a cult, I wonder how these people will react when the reality does smack them in the face. When Biden actually is getting inaugurated, what are they going to say? What are they going to say? When Biden's actually getting inaugurated right in front of their eyes, when Biden officially becomes president, when Trump has to go to Mar-a-Lago, what are they going to say? I don't know what they're going to say. I don't, some of them might hold on to the delusion even further. Some of them might do that. Some of them might have an awakening moment. You know, I think some people on the right had their awakening moment when it was Fox News that called the election for Trump, and they said, oh, I guess it's nonsense. I guess it's done. So I don't know what it's going to take, man, but all I know is that this level of self-delusion is genuinely scary to me. And you watch this, and you sort of begin to understand how something like the Jonestown massacre could have happened. You know, you can actually convince people of wildly inaccurate things. Things that would make you laugh when you first hear it. People can get convinced of it, which shows that to a large extent, people are almost infinitely malleable. Not fully, but almost infinitely malleable. And um, there's a lot of charlatans, a lot of con men, a lot of frauds. And these guys just head over heels in love with this particular charlatan, con man, and fraud. I mean, these people think Trump really is end all be all they do they think he's god they think he's heavenly they think he's a demigod because nothing else makes sense like that's that's the core belief that makes this all make sense to them that he can somehow you know override all rules of reality and get his way and i think 2016 also helped in breaking people's brains because everybody was so convinced hillary was going to win and then trump won and so people said oh i'm just never going to bet against this guy ever again ever To the point where even though he lost and it's been demonstrated over and over and over and it's been verified over and over and over, they're still saying, no, Biden's not going to be president. Really eye-opening moment, man. There's a lot of people out there who are very, very lost. And I actually feel kind of bad. Okay. All right, next, let's go to the fight on CNN. There's a lot of interesting stuff happening in the world of politics today. The Georgia runoff election is, you know, the most important one. Um, $2,000 checks are really on the ballot, and it appears like the $2,000 checks are winning slash have won. We'll see the details of that as it unfolds. But uh, the the brilliant minds over at CNN, the day of it is either the day of or the day leading up to the Georgia election. Um, they were real. They were really focusing on a high-minded conversation here. Don Lemon on his show. They're really going to get into the details and the specifics of political strategy, of how to implement policy, of the path forward to unify the country. Let's look at this high minded, brilliant, genius conversation they ended up having on CNN. What
4: you say? stupid. stupid plan trigger. You know, you know, damn well it's a Anthony, you're too smart for that. Okay. Well, he worked for Trump, so I don't know. I didn't. Anthony! You
6: you worked for Ted Cruz, a full-on traitor. I
3: mean, what are you talking about? You, you don't have any standing to say that.
4: Excuse me? Excuse me, Anthony Scaramucci. I remember you going to the cameras and praising Donald Trump to the hill. When I worked for Ted Cruz, you want to go there? He took You didn't praise Ted Cruz when you worked for him? It, excuse me, what was that? You didn't praise Ted Cruz when you worked for him? You didn't praise when you were Donald Trump. Communication person willingly?
3: No. Don't be don't be a hypocrite on national TV. Okay. I've owned I the mistake of Donald Trump. Trump. Don Try not to I be own. a hypocrite on national TV. It,
4: but, Anthony, you were Donald Trump's mouthpiece, and everybody knew what kind of person he was then if he's shown himself to be now. So was 74
6: million people voted for him, Amanda. All right, got to go, guys. This is the country you're living in. 74 million people voted well, for him. understand those vote. voters. Change their, their will. Okay. Yeah, thank you, you all.
3: Goodbye.
1: Imagine watching CNN to try to get some sort of insight, to try to learn, try to get educated, to try to hear intellectual discourse. Seriously, imagine that. Imagine the kind of person at this point who would turn on CNN to learn something. I mean, what is there to say? Incredibly childish. Incredibly childish. Listen, we can't do better than this. Like, the country can't do better than this. We can't aspire to something greater than, like, personal insular bickering. And by the way, I have the answer in their fight. The answer is, you're both incredibly pathetic. Incredibly pathetic. I'm just over-the-top pathetic. Yes, Anthony Scaramucci, you worked for Donald Trump. You were willing to overlook all of his flaws to go work for him. You are willing to overlook all of the evil, terrible, backstabbing things he does because you wanted your face on TV. You wanted to become famous. You wanted praise and adulation. You're a, nar- you're a narcissist, and you're a self-aggrandizer. And you don't care your path to fame as long as you get the fame. And so, yeah, go out there and defend Trump. By the way, how long did he last on camera? Like a day? It was some some incredibly tiny amount of time. It was hilarious. Um, so, yeah, he was willing to sell his soul to, to get on TV. He's willing to sell his soul now just to be a guest on CNN. i will tell people whatever the hell they want to hear just to get – a camera in front of him. Absolutely. He's looking for any outlet to get his face out there. And there's no there, there. There's no substance there. But, but, now the plot twist, because also whoever he's talking to there, she worked for Ted Cruz. You, are you going to wag your finger at any other human being ever when you worked for somebody who's just as bad as Trump, if not worse, when it comes to lack of ideology, being vapid, Careerist, ladder climber, doesn't really believe in anything. Ted Cruz right now is pretending like there's a question as to whether or not, you know, Trump um, lost the election. He's trying to say, oh, the election is fraudulent. We need to look into it more. Sheer nonsense political calculation because Ted Cruz wants to be president. Any semblance of integrity right out the window. So you can't, if you work for Ted Cruz, you are in no position to criticize any other human being. Force them working for somebody. Ted Cruz is no better than Donald Trump. If anything, he might actually be a little bit worse. Because at least with Trump, every now and then he'll throw a curveball at you like, I don't like the TPP. I'm going to crush that. What? Okay, good. We'll take it. It was largely bullshit because he took provisions from that and put it in the new NAFTA. But anyway, I digress. Point is, every now and then he'll surprise you with something interesting. Whereas with Ted Cruz, nonstop, wall-to-wall, conservative, far-right propaganda... But nonsense, and never been right about anything, is a sli-
4: slimy career politician. Me, I think it's me.
1: I like how I'm doing the Pat Robertson shoulders as I do the Ted Cruz impersonation. But he's useless. Terrible, narcissist, career-climbing, vapid loser goon. That's Ted Cruz. So bite your tongue. Bite your tongue going after Scaramucci for working for Trump. Here's the reality. Everybody who is on that screen is annoying as fuck. Don Lemon... Anna Navarro, every single one of them, totally useless. Useless. By the way, what should the job of CNN be? The job of CNN should be to be a watchdog of the government. But they end up being a guard dog of the establishment. But that's what they should do. They should be a watchdog of the government. They should give people facts and information. And also... Discuss these things from the perspective of the American people. Represent the American people. Tell them where the government is screwing them, how the government is corrupt, what policies would help them. They do none of that. None of that at all. You know, the way it generally works is CNN is rah-rah Democratic Party, MSNBC is rah-rah Democratic Party, Fox News is rah-rah Republican Party. Nobody's telling you the truth. It's all partisan garbage. Deeply unimpressive people host on all these channels. I mean, Don Lemon. Imagine turning on Don Lemon to learn something or get an interesting take. No, you're going to see stuff like this. Petty, personal bickering for no reason when both of these people are shameless and soulless. If you work for Ted Cruz or Donald Trump, I don't want to hear anything. There's no moral preening or grandstanding because you're at the bottom of the barrel. All right, next. Joseph... Biden and his 3K checks, or 2K checks, I should say. 3K, yeah, we wish. Okay, here we go, baby. Let's go. So we went over the reasons why we think the Georgia election went the way it went. Um, I want to show you some more on this. A few days before the election, Biden was campaigning, and he said the following.
6: One state can chart the course not just for the next four years, but for the next generation. By electing John and a Reverend, you can make an immediate difference in your own lives, the lives of the people all across this country, because their election will put an end to the block in Washington, that $2,000 stimulus check, that money that will go out the door immediately Tell help people who are in real trouble. Think about what it will mean to your lives putting food on the table, paying rent, paying funds, their mortgage, paying down the credit card, paying the phone bill, the gas bill, the electric bill. Just look around. Millions of people in this country out of work through no fault of their own. No fault of their own. And if you're like millions of Americans all across this country, you need the money, you need the help, and you need it now. Look. Georgia, there's no one in America with more power to make that happen than you, the citizens of Atlanta, the citizens of Georgia.
1: So three reasons that the Democrats won in Georgia. Number one, the black vote was colossal. There was a giant turnout among the African-American community. Number two, Trump is absolutely scaring the suburbs, and the suburbs are fleeing to go Democratic. And number three, and again, I think this is the most important one, they closed with a populist economic message. Here's Joe Biden saying, listen, vote for the Democrats. We're going to get those two $2,000 checks to you. Don't vote for the Democrats. Okay, I, I'm, I'm telling you what we're going to do. What are the Republicans going to do? They're not going to do anything. McConnell's going to keep blocking this thing or slipping poison pills into the, the bill on it. The House passed it. The House Democrats passed the $2,000 checks. They did. They, They passed it. Then it went to McConnell, and McConnell tried to kill it. Even Trump was for it, but McConnell killed it. You vote for the Democrats. That means we have a Democratic Senate. The House already passed the bill. The Senate is going to pass the bill. And I, President Biden, will sign it. Turns out that's a really powerful message. Turns out Vote for me, and I will materially improve your life in the middle of this economic downturn. People hear that and go, oh, I love that. That's my jam. I'm going to go vote for them. There you have it, man. I, listen, I don't know how many times I could say it or how many ways I could say it. Politics isn't rocket science. It's not rocket science. You see where people are, and you go to it. You want to know what percentage of the population is in favor of the $2,000 checks? 78%. 78%. And the overwhelming majority of the ones who are against it are probably wealthy enough where they don't need it, or they're just very hardcore libertarian types. Just free market all day long, and they view this as like a giant welfare check to everybody, so they're against it. 78% of the country is for it. Turns out when you say to the American people, I'm with 78% of you, they go, oh, sweet. Okay, we're going to vote for you. Again, not rocket science, really not rocket science. If only they would do this on all the issues. I think it's like 80% that want to raise the minimum wage. Right in the same ballpark. 70% want Medicare for all in the middle of a pandemic. Only like 13% or something like that want to still be in Iraq or Afghanistan. Hey, let's get out of these wars and reinvest that money here at home. Give people education. Build health clinics. Not rocket science. For the love of God, politics is easy. Tell people that you want to fix things, and people go, hey, he looks like he wants to fix stuff. I will support him. Yes, that's right. Okay.
3: It is break time, it is break time, it is break time, it is break time.
1: When we come back, Mitch McConnell. Mitch McConnell. We'll talk about what he's up to. You don't want to miss that, and you don't want to miss everything else we got for you lined up. Secular Talk is here in our newly designed studio. All right, I'll talk to you guys in a little bit. Be right back.
2: We back here, buddy.
3: Welcome back to the show. Welcome back to the show. Welcome back to the show all day long. All
1: right, let's talk about Mitch McConnell. Our boy, Mitch. By our boy, I mean anything but our boy. Okay. Mitch McConnell. A dilemma. Now, I don't really think it's a dilemma because the answer is obvious if you care about the country at all. Um, but he thinks he's facing a dilemma. And that dilemma is what are Republicans going to do when there's basically this procedure, which is ceremonial, which verifies the election results, and you have the Republican president who's denying the results of the election, and you have a large portion of the base that's denying the results of the election, and you have a bunch of Republicans who are afraid if they don't deny the results of the election that their political careers are over. So, Mitch, handle this? Well, let's take a look. So we have, um, this is from Politico, this quote, McConnell told senators on a recent conference call that this is a very difficult decision for each one of you You each have to make it yourselves, recounted Senator Kevin Kramer. I voted twice on declarations of war, and he said, this is right up there. But there's a lot of noise out there, and I won't judge anybody for their decision. So what he's saying is, hey, if you want to, like, casually vote on the side of overthrowing the democratic will of the people... Who am I to judge you? That's his argument. That's his argument. His argument is, hey, if you want to symbolically put your middle finger up to the United States of America, a country that's supposed to be a constitutional republic and a representative democracy, I get it. This is a hard decision. This is just, like, this is just as hard as it's been to vote on the wars that I voted on. By the way, that really does put it in perspective, too, doesn't it? Because, like, all the wars that have been voted on since Mitch McConnell has been in Washington, D.C., every one of them you easily vote no on, you know? Like, I get it. There was propaganda at the time, and so people were overwhelmed. But, I mean, if you actually were a critical thinker and you looked at the evidence, you'd be like, we're not going to do an illegal and offensive war against a country that didn't attack us, like the Iraq War, for example. So, those, like, the decisions in those votes, yes, they were very consequential, very important decisions, but like if you're a reasonable person with a conscience, you go, Oh, of course I'm voting no on this. To him, it's like, oh, this is really hard. And I'm sure he voted for every one of those wars. Um but he's acting like this is a tough decision. This is not a tough decision in so far as you actually care about the United States of America and the fact that we're a constitutional Republican and representative democracy. We have an election The election, 306 electoral votes went to Joe Biden. That's already been verified by the Electoral College. When it comes to the popular vote, Biden won by over 7 million votes. This isn't tough. This isn't tough. And then even if you think, no, seriously, I think there was some funny stuff going on. Okay, well, how do you address that grievance? Very simply, you go to the courts. And what happened? They went to the courts. And when they went to the courts, the court said, yeah, we took a look at everything that you're claiming and... There's nothing here, or certainly not enough to overcome the election. See, that's the point that I get is so baffling to me, which is like, even if I grant you a lot of the points that the people who think this is a fraudulent election, even if I grant you a lot of your points, Biden still wins because there's not nearly enough of a problem, there's not nearly enough fraud to overthrow three or four states. It's not there. So even if I grant you stuff, you still lose. Trump still loses. There's no real issue here. So the fact that, I mean, this is, you can't, you can't vote against certifying the results and also pretend to care about democracy. If you vote against the results, you're saying, I'm an authoritarian. That's what you're saying. So Ted Cruz, Hawley, however these people react, Gomert in the House, if they react like they tell us they're going to react, okay, they're authoritarians. It's, that's like the definition of it. I'll override the will of people because this con man is pretending like he won. And I have political aspirations in the future. So now again, this is symbolic, but I think it says a lot when if you're willing to take a stand on this, to side with Trump over like the way our country functions, man, that's dark. That's dark. Another funny point about this is McConnell demands ideological consistency and purity from people in his caucus. He does. That's what he does. That's why the Republicans are always, almost always voting as a block on stuff. The one time that he's allowing people to like follow their conscience and do whatever you want is when the question is: should we override the democratic will of the people? Should we override an election that's been decided? The only time he's like, follow your conscience, bro. Every other issue he's demanding ideological purity. Uh, to vote with corporations and vote with far-right interests. Every other vote, this is what McConnell demands. With this one, he's like, follow your heart. Incredible, man. Incredible. Really gross. And these people are exactly who we thought they were. Okay, next. Next. Let's go to the Fox News story about student debt. Fox News talks about student debt. So Fox News had um, a segment here They're responding to Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and others on the left who want to do student debt relief. Look at what they had to say.
5: Renewing calls to wipe out student loan debt as an analysis from a bipartisan group says the move would be an ineffective stimulus measure. Here's a response from AOC herself. We have to push the Biden administration hard. This whole thing, we can't cancel student loan debt, is not going to fly. Charles Payne is the host of Making Money with Charles Payne on our sister network, Fox Business. He joins us now. Charles, you and I have been talking about these calls by some progressive Democrats four years. I mean we, we remember Bernie Sanders really starting this push, but that policy group that looked into it said this. Eliminating one point five trillion in loans, it says would translate to just ninety billion dollars or less in cash available to spend in twenty twenty one and four hundred and fifty billion over the next five years. So they're saying this is ineffective as far as a stimulus for the American people. And you say what?
6: Right. I mean, there's a distinct difference, uh, you know, when people think about stimulus, for instance, the debate over a stimulus check, going out to your mailbox, opening it up, and there's money there versus someone saying you don't have to pay for a bill that many are arguing they didn't have the money to pay for already. So if you couldn't pay for the student loan, it doesn't mean money would magically materialize in your pocket so you can buy an automobile. This thing has been chopped down every which way possible. And more importantly, you know, uh, the part about this sort of being something to help the disadvantaged, to help blacks and Hispanics, if you really look at the data very closely, you look at where most of these loans are, folks with master's degrees, PhDs, people who will make 2 or $3 million over the course of their life, more than a high school graduate. This is a bailout for rich white folks, to be quite frank with you.
1: That's nonsense. That's nonsense. And, of course, these are the arguments that they're going to try to use when you talk about student loan debt relief. By the way, the new thing is, when you talk about any big universal programs, what they do is they'll bring, they'll bring up identity. And they'll act like, unless you're favoring racial, racial groups, then the universal programs are effectively racist because they're not redressing racial grievances first and foremost. You're doing a broad-based universal program which treats blacks and whites and everybody else equally, and that's unacceptable because we need to favor the racial groups. By the way, these are, these are cynical tricks, effectively. That's what this is. These are tricks. They're trying to find an argument that weaponizes left-wing ideology against left-wing ideology. That's what the attempt is. So you have to take a stand for universal programs. And i looked this up by the way. So the people who are helped the most, there was a study that came out in 2013 on this. The people who are helped the most um, with student loan debt relief, it's people from families who make between $40,000 and $60,000. Now, he's making this thing like, oh, yeah, it's all rich white folks. It's all rich white folks. Does that count as rich, between $40,000 and $60,000 a year? No, that's middle class, right? I mean, it depends on where you live and all that stuff, of course, but pretty solidly middle class. Are there some people who are upper middle class who get relief? Sure, but that leads to the next point, which is it doesn't matter if you believe as a matter of principle that student loan debt shouldn't be a thing. It's like if you said to me, Kyle, if you wipe out medical debt, that mostly helps rich people. You know what my response is end. I don't care because I don't think medical debt should be a thing that exists. I don't think it should exist. So if I don't think it should exist, it doesn't matter who it helps if you get rid of it. As a matter of principle, it shouldn't exist, so get rid of it. You know? Like I don't know why people struggle to grasp that point about a principled belief on something. You know, it's like saying, it's like, think about it like this, torture. If you tell me I have this guy who committed a triple murder and it did the most gruesome crime you can imagine, killed like a little girl or whatever, and we ended up torturing him, am I then pro-torture because the guy's really evil? No, because it's a principled belief. As a matter of principle, you take torture off the table. Just as a matter of principle, you should take murder off the table. These are things that... The context is irrelevant. It doesn't matter what else happens, what else goes on. That's the whole point of having a moral, principled belief on something. And this is exactly how, like, the the Bush administration weaponized people's feelings of sympathy and empathy, used that against them to get them to support torture. They said, hey, Al-Qaeda attacked us on 9-11. What, do you not want to torture Al-Qaeda? And people were like, I care about the victims of 9-11, so yes, I'm fine with torturing them. And come to find out, it wasn't even Al-Qaeda who we were torturing. We locked up people in Guantanamo Bay. We locked up people in Abu Ghraib who were totally innocent, who were picked up by Afghanistan warlords that we paid and come to find out Afghanistan warlords are not the most trustworthy people on the planet, and then they just shipped off their political enemies, and that's who we had locked up in Guantanamo Bay and Abu Ghraib and elsewhere. And once you believe in torture, there is no such thing as a little bit of torture. There is no such thing as only torturing in the right instances. Torture is wrong, full stop. Murder is wrong, full stop. Having student loan debt or medical debt is wrong, full stop, because in a civilized society, these are things that you take off of the table. These are things that are a given. These are things that are a given in a civilized society. And also, just to give you some more numbers on it, what they're saying is not even true. 65% of student loans are held by the bottom 80%. So the overwhelming majority of student loans are held by the bottom 80%. And those that are not, I, I still think it should be, the slate should be wiped clean. Now, anecdotally, in my life, I can tell you guys this. People who I know, everybody that has student loans, they come from a more middle-class background, and it was a situation where their parents wouldn't pay for their college. Like, people who are upper-middle class or wealthy, a lot of times parents pay for their college, so they don't have student loans. The people who end up taking student loans are like middle class. And so they end up taking the student loans, and then when they get out of school and they get in the real world, they have to worry about paying back their student loans. And it's tough to afford a car or afford a, a mortgage or whatever it may be if you're paying off the student loan. It's a very, very difficult thing. So the idea that it's not stimulus, to take a giant bill off of the table for these people, are you kidding me? Of course it's a, it's a stimulus. Because then with the money that they now have that they don't have to pay for student loans, maybe they do get that car, rent a car, buy a car, you know, find somewhere else to live, or whatever it may be. The idea that it doesn't provide stimulus, of course it provides stimulus. What are you talking about? But anyway, even anecdotally, I see that the more wealthy people, they had their parents pay for their college, whereas people who took out the student loans are like middle class, as a general rule. It varies a little bit, but that's a big part of it. So, you know, I just, all these arguments I find really disingenuous and stupid, because number one, it's not even true that it mostly helps the upper middle class or the wealthy. It's just not true. And number two, even if it was true, I don't care, because there shouldn't be In the same way we shouldn't have indentured servitude, we shouldn't have student loan debt or medical debt. Wipe the debt slate clean and then get free college and get free health care. That's not too much to ask. All I'm asking for is basic social democratic reform in this country. That's it. Now, these people might listen to me talk, and they might say, oh, my God, he's so far left, he's so extreme. There's not a single thing I'm advocating for in this segment that isn't believed by a majority of the American people, an overwhelming majority of the American people. Everybody makes fun of me because I say overwhelming majority a lot. But it's true. That, it's true. An overwhelming majority supports these things. So it's not like some sort of radical extreme. No, it's basic social democracy. And these people on these networks always cockblock even that. Imagine cockblocking basic social democracy in the year 2021. Are you kidding me? The way for us to become number one in the world, by the way, in infrastructure, in a variety of different things, is to fully embrace social democracy. And maybe, in some instances, go beyond social democracy. But that's how we become number one. And instead, we have people arguing against student loan debt relief, which is just the dumbest thing I've ever heard. And a lot of these people, by the way, are the same people who wanted to massively add to the debt and the deficit by giving the rich another round of tax cuts and the corporations another round of tax cuts that they didn't need. Next. Oh, Mark Levin, this idiot. The people over at Fox News are uh, not handling the current political reality well. They really can't digest that Biden was elected president. Um, they also were terrified about what was going to happen in Georgia. Coming to find out, they were right to be terrified because the worst-case scenario for the Republicans happened. Um, here's Mark Levin. This was before the Georgia election, and he is... I'll let him speak for himself here, but he is insane, and he's making insane arguments.
3: The Declaration of Independence and Constitution are being destroyed by the Democrat Party and the media, and they want to destroy what's left of it. We know this, because the Democrats have announced their intentions. If The two neo-Marxist Democrats running in Georgia are elected to the Senate. It'll be 50-50. And then the neo-Marxists, they hope, Purported vice president of the United States Kamala Harris. is not there yet, but they hope She'll be the 51st vote for the Democrats. So by the slimmest of margins They're going to destroy our judiciary. They're going to destroy separation of powers They're going to destroy the United States Senate by packing the United States Senate. We're going to have a rogue Legislature that will pass whatever it wants anytime it wants and fundamentally alter every aspect of this society And then finally, they want to destroy the Electoral College so Republicans can never win and Republican areas of this country have lost, in effect, their franchise and their representation. That's how serious this is. We're standing at the precipice and we're looking into the abyss because this is the target. This is the target. The Democrat Party never much liked the founding of this country. It never much liked the Declaration of Independence and certainly not the Constitution. Early on in our history, it sought to destroy the Constitution. That's what the Confederacy was all about. Slavery, nullification, segregation. And they carried that through well into the 1900s. And now it's the party of the neo marxist They have never liked Americanism. They've never liked the founding. They've never liked the limits placed on them by the United States Constitution. If we don't win at least one seat, but both seats in the state of Georgia which is supposed to be a Republican state, this country will be changed forever. If we don't fight on January 6th on the floor of the Senate and the House, that is the joint meeting of Congress, on these electors, we're done. And I want to explain this very, very clearly. We have Republican members of Congress who are going on CNN and MSNBC and anywhere else they can be heard saying, this is an attack at the heart of democracy. Ben Sasse, Adam Kinzinger, others, who should know better, Cornyn, Foon, McConnell, and there's more. And, of course, the media promote them. The media say, look at this, look at this. They're trying to reverse the course of the election. They're trying to take the franchise away from the people. Let me be abundantly clear about this. I wrote a piece about this the other day. You may want to check it out. On January 6th, we learned whether our Constitution will hold.
1: This might be top five most ironic rants of all time. Because what he just said there is, if we don't overturn the election, we're done. Um, Quote, this is an attack at the heart of democracy. He also says, we have to defend the Constitution. He's saying all this as he's advocating for overthrowing the Democratic election for overthrowing the results of an election where Biden got 306 electoral votes, which is the same margin Trump beat Hillary by, and where Biden won by over 7 million in the popular vote. So how on earth can you scream about how you want to defend the Constitution and protect our democracy as you're calling to overthrow our democracy and ignore the Constitution? I mean, these guys are amazing. This is what I mean. I at least can have respect for somebody ideologically if they have principles and they have policy preferences and they've thought them through and they argue for them. Even if we disagree on the policy, if you've thought this stuff through, you have policy beliefs, you have principles, and you stick by them, okay, it is what it is. The world's a complicated place. The world's a messy place. Not everybody is going to agree with Kyle Kalinske on everything. I got it, okay? But this is one of those instances. There's no. He doesn't have any principle beliefs. He doesn't have any ideology. His whole thing is i'm mark levin republican good democrat bad trump good biden bad and everything else is just square peg round hole let me do a condescending rant with my annoying ass voice where i try to tell people that to protect democracy we have to overthrow democracy to to protect the constitution we have to totally ignore the constitution this guy's he's a joke this guy's a joke and this kind of extremism also leads to the further radicalization of the Republican base, which also has now turned them into people who watch One America News Network more than Fox News, people that watch Newsmax more than Fox News, because at least most of the hosts on Fox News were intelligent enough to admit, yeah, the election's over, Biden won. Hey, Mark, you've had your day in court, well over 50 court cases. You lost almost every single one. Trump lost every single one. You want to know why? Because he didn't win. He, di- he lost. Hold the L son, hold the L. I mean, and what what was that part in the middle where he said they supported the Confederacy and segregation? Like what? So I get it, he's doing his old Democrats are really bad routine. I got it. But you went all the way back to the Confederacy and segregation? You do know that those were the conservatives of the time, correct? Yes, it was conservatives in the democratic party but there was this little thing called a political realignment which happened in the 60s which anybody who knows anything about politics would know that and admit that this is what i mean it seems like he's just a liar anybody who is in politics and has made a name in politics and they try to obfuscate on the political realignment that happened in the 1960s they're just they have to be charlatans and con men and liars because every you know of course he knows of course he knows That this isn't the same people, the people who were for the Confederacy and were for segregation. You had to know there was a political realignment. And then the Republicans started doing this Southern strategy, which is like, let's get all the Southern whites on our side. Uh, Incredible. It really is incredible. Um, And then my favorite part is when he calls the Democratic candidates in Georgia neo-Marxists. John Ossoff is a centrist. He is. Very famously, he did that interview where he was asked straight up, do you support the Green New Deal? Do you support Medicare for All? And he was like, no. I wish he did. I wish he did support those things. But, like, you're taking centrists and you're accusing them of being neo-Marxists when really, in many ways, they're like moderate Republicans. At least Biden is like a moderate Republican. Warnock might be a little bit better. We saw his, you know, his sermons where he was arguing for universal health care and arguing to end the wars. I think that's great. But it's just so funny. Like, it doesn't matter what you say. They'll even call Joe Manchin a Marxist. I swear to God they will do that. You watch. Just wait and see. Um, But, yeah, they never liked the Constitution or the Declaration of Independence is another thing that he said. As you're arguing to ignore the Constitution, I, I just, I don't know who could take these guys seriously. Who's his audience? Is it seriously all people who are on the mental decline in uh, in retirement homes? Because I don't know who this appeals to. Like, young conservatives watch this and they think, you go get a mark. It's hard to wrap my mind around that. I don't think that's happening. Okay. okay. We're going to go to... Okay. The day has come. The day has come where the alliance between Donald Trump and Mike Pence might disintegrate in front of our eyes, and this has got to be a tough thing for Pence because he's the most loyal person ever when it comes to Trump, and um, Trump is now putting him in a position where, like, he can't be this degree of loyal without totally ruining his political future. Um, totally ruining any modicum or shred of integrity he has. He's just being put in a position where he can't do what Trump wants him to do. So Trump wants Pence to object to the certification of the election results in the Senate. That's what he wants him to do. Now, what Pence is doing is ceremonial. He has a ceremonial role. He doesn't have the ability or the authority to overthrow the election. The election's already certified through the Electoral College. This is just a formality. That's all this is. This is just a tradition, you know, just going through the motions. That's all it is. Trump has been convinced from right-wing hacks and charlatans and frauds that, oh, no, no, he can overturn it. He can overturn the results. He really can't overturn the results. Um, But Trump is convinced of it, so he's been trying to pressure Pence into doing exactly that. And then we see this article in Business Insider. Jay Sekulow President Donald Trump's impeachment lawyer and personal defense attorney said Trump's insistence that Vice President Mike Pence reject the electoral results of several states is unconstitutional. Quote, some have speculated that the vice president could simply say, yes, I'm not going to accept these electors, that he has the authority to do that under the Constitution. I actually don't think that's what the Constitution has in mind, Secolo said on his Periscope show on Tuesday. If that were the case, any vice president could refuse any election, he added. It's more of a ministerial uh, pr- procedural function. Sekolo is one of Trump's most loyal backers and the latest high-profile conservative figure to come out against the president's crusade to overturn President-elect Joe Biden's victory in the 2020 election. Let me explain to you how big that is. Jay Sekolo is an insane far-right-wing attorney. Insane. No so insane. Right wing watch had like a whole page dedicated to him and all the things he used to say, because he was big. I mean, he was big. I think even in the religious right circles, he was big. Like he teamed up with a lot of the televangelist type people, just no decency in that man anywhere. Okay. And even he, at this point is like, I, you, that what you're asking for is not possible. That's not a thing. Pence can't just say, I don't agree. I'm going to overturn it. I'm going to overturn the results of the election. What, what would make you think he has that ability? Why would you think that? Because, like some right-wing talk show host said it. What the hell do they know? They don't know anything. They've been making things up for decades now. So what are you talking about? So here we are, man. Here we are. Now Trump effectively is going to fully isolate himself where it's him and just his family, and even some in his family are probably rolling their eyes, and his most rabid supporters. Here we are. And Pence, I'm sure Pence has no idea what to do. Because... In some ways, his political future is tied to Trump and tied to keeping that base happy. But in other ways, we just saw that the Republicans lost in Georgia and the future of Trumpism is definitely in doubt. So Pence might want to also sort of hop off the Trumpism train, right, and and have his own path, which keeps him politically relevant. So he, he definitely doesn't know what to do. He doesn't. The only thing that's scary is that Pence is like a big believer in like, I'm a man of God. And I'm, a, a, I'm following out God's plan. I'm laying out God's plan. I am the vessel through which the Lord is speaking to everybody. And so I think he thinks he's destined for the White House. Um, but does he think he's destined for the White House by trying in a futile attempt to overthrow the results of this election in the Senate when he doesn't have that ability? I doubt it. I doubt it. I think he's probably smart enough to know I can't do this, this is not, like, what do you think is going to happen? Pence is going to say, I reject the results, and then everybody goes, I mean, he did reject the results, what are we going to do? Obviously, Trump's got to be sworn in now for a second term. Like, what? So, he's got to be conflicted, because if Trump unleashes the hounds of hell on Pence, that's beyond a Republican civil war, because that's a civil war within the civil war. Like, right now, yes, you have the Donald Trump types versus the Mitt Romney types, the establishment wing versus the Trump wing. But if Trump goes after Pence, that's like the Trump wing going after the Trump wing. Nobody's been more loyal than Pence. So if he abandoned you, goddamn, you're the most unreasonable person on the planet. But he kind of is. So who knows what's going to happen? But there's another story that came out today that he secretly admits, Trump secretly admits behind the scenes, yeah, I know I'm done. Of course I know I'm done. So he's making his plans for after he's out of the White House. But he really is clawing And trying to push everybody around him to do more, apparently he was pissed that uh, Pence wasn't all in on the hashtag fraudulent election thing from the beginning. And Pence kind of was. Like, he tepidly said, we are allowed to fight this in the courts and all that stuff. But Trump wanted him to be more vocal, more supportive, more in favor of fraudulent election, got to overturn the results. And he was only willing to go to a certain point. And now he's asking him to cross a line that's, like, nearly impossible. So... If this bromance breaks up, Trump and Pence, pfft, Trump really knows how to isolate himself and alienate himself from all of the people who were his biggest allies and supporters. And honestly, that's, that's too on the nose. That's too perfect for the kind of personality he is. Like, he's such a narcissist. He's such a self-aggrandizer. He only cares about himself. And that has made him have some qualities that are, like, the most unlikable qualities in any human being on planet earth. And so it might be the pence Trump bromance might be coming to an end. That's something. Okay. All right, next. What are we? What color should I change it to behind me? I'm going to go blue again. See, since I don't have my graphics, Because the Mac is broken. I have to change the colors behind me on the lights so I know when one story is up and the next story begins. Anyway, that's inside stuff that is not all too important. But let's continue, baby. Here we go. Let's continue. So in the last few days of the Trump presidency, when everything is waning, um, Democrats are, are... trying a strategy here that I think is kind of silly. I'm curious what everybody else thinks, but take a look at this. According to Axios, progressives plot 11th hour Trump impeachment over Georgia call. Now, the Georgia call. Insane. It's basically Trump saying, You know, it would be really something. I mean, I think that uh, this election was fraudulent. I know it's fraudulent. You know it's fraudulent. We all know it's fraudulent. It's a very fraudulent election. Many, many people are saying this. And uh, frankly, I think that you should make sure you don't allow these results to go through. And I need you to find me about 12,000 more votes. That's what I need. I need you to find me about 12,000 more votes. And I think we easily won the election. I think we won even way more than that. But all I'm asking is for you to find me 12,000 more votes. So after the Electoral College already verified the results, already certified the results, And the rest is just a formality. All this going through Congress is just formality. It's over. Biden won. It's done. Okay? He's still calling the Georgia Secretary of State, who's a Republican, and he's like, can you please overthrow it? Again, what makes Trump think that this guy has the ability to just casually, like, what are you talking about? Of course he can't do it. But he was casually asking for him to overthrow it. Now, on the one hand, that's terrifying because he clearly wants to be an authoritarian leader. But on the other hand, it's also just buffoonish. Because of course this isn't going to happen. You really think you're going to win like that? You really believe that? You can't possibly believe that. Is anybody that stupid? Is anybody really that stupid? So here we are. Now, the response, and I think it's Ilhan Omar who's leading this fight. Now, I love love Ilhan Omar. I think she's awesome. But I think this is silly. I do. Because why? Why are you doing it? First of all, Trump was already impeached through the House. I think he was impeached on... Weak grounds. Like they didn't even impeach him on the emoluments clause, which is corruption, which he's clearly violating that without a doubt, not even close. They didn't go after him for emoluments. Um, they went after him for, was it the Ukraine thing? I think it was the Ukraine phone call, right? Um, and really the genesis was all Russiagate. Again, not nearly as substantive as emoluments. But they already impeached him through the House. As I told you, he was going to fail in the Senate. It actually didn't even hurt his approval rating afterwards. You know, he lost because more because of the pandemic and the economy, not because of the impeachment thing. But, like, you already impeached him once on questionable grounds. Now you're going to impeach him again on this, and he's going to be in office for, like, seven and a half more minutes? I don't get it. I don't get it. I don't get it. I don't get it. I don't understand it. A- and this gets, honestly, this does loop in the conversation about force the vote as well, because the benefit of force the vote, even if it doesn't end up passing, even if Medicare for all doesn't pass, the benefit is you're taking a stand, you're drawing a line in the sand, and you're doing it over the issue of universal health care in the middle of a pandemic. That's why that's a fight you want to take on, and that's a fight where you want to lead the way. You want to make the arguments publicly. You want to be viewed as, hey, these are the people who wouldn't stop fighting for health care for me in the middle of a pandemic, and they didn't even care. It was unlikely to pass. They cared so deeply about getting me health care that they wouldn't stop fighting. They're going down guns blazing. That's why you want to take on that fight. This is a fight you want to have with the last eight minutes of his presidency? You want to be out there impeaching him over this? Why? There's no other upside. He's already been defeated. He's gonzo. He's done. It's over. So what upside is there? I'm anti-Trump. No, I'm really, really anti-Trump. Oh, yeah, I'm so anti-Trump. I'll impeach him in his last eight minutes. How about that? But what do you get out of it? What's the political benefit of this? Now, you could say, oh, I'm doing it on principle. But if you're doing it on principle, then why didn't you impeach over emoluments originally? Because that's a better reason to impeach. Or you can impeach him for materially supporting a genocide. Like, that's the whole thing with Saudi Arabia. They gave him money through his hotel, so he gave them weapons. And they're doing a genocide in Yemen with our support. Supporting a genocide and being a, a corrupt oligarch is a much bigger problem than a phone call that he made. And in this instance, even if you say you're doing it in principle, I mean... Okay, but then do the emoluments one. Do the genocide one. Why pick this one? I don't understand it. And again, he's out of office. You already won, so what's the point? Just And here's the main reason. They're virtue signaling. Now, everybody was screaming at us when it came to force the vote, and they were like, this is all performative, and it's all virtue signaling because it's not going to pass. And then they turn around and do a significantly worse version of virtue signaling and performance. At least with that performance and with that virtue signaling, it's on something incredibly substantive that wants to give people health care. This is like, I'm going to virtue signal, and there's no other message other than Trump bad. Trump bad, and I'm really, really against Trump, and I'm so against him, I impeached him in his last eight minutes in office. It's just not serious. It's just not serious that this is how you want to spend your time when there's a pandemic and a depression. This is what you want to do. It it doesn't make sense to me. The original impeachment on the grounds that they did it on didn't make sense to me either. I told you, if you're going to impeach, do it over a monument because that's substantive. Do it over the genocide in Yemen. That's substantive. Now they want to do it with this thing. Again, the phone call, I, I mean, I did a segment myself, and I condemned it to the high heavens because it's absurd and it's ridiculous, and it is authoritarian for sure. But it's also buffoonish, and it's going nowhere, and he's already out of office. So what's the point in doing this? I don't get it. It's like, where do they put their energy? They put their energy on things that are just not as important. It's just not. At least with the fight for Medicare for All, you're fighting for healthcare. This is a fight to say, I'm more anti-Trump than you. No, I'm more anti-Trump than you. No, I'm really, really anti-Trump. Congratulations. Maybe if you win this fight, he'll be out of the White House. Oh, that's right. He's already going to be out of the White House. So why are we wasting our time? Okay, maybe I'm going a little too hard on them here, but I just it, I guess it bothers me that Forced the Vote was attacked for being, like, performative and virtue signaling. And then this is way more performative in virtue signaling and it's also less substantive because it's not there is no tangible benefit other than to say Trump bad. Whereas the tangible benefit of the fight on Medicare for All is I'm fighting to get you health care and even if I lose, you're gonna remember I fought to get you health care. And also we're gonna shift the Overton window where it's more likely we do get universal health care sooner rather than later. So I'm sorry, I just I think this is like like a caricatured version of like Trump bad that the outcomes of it are not that positive, whereas the outcomes of what we're calling for is a hell of a lot more substantive. There are way more upsides as a result of it. And it just makes me sad that, like, yes, everybody's got to pick their battles. Everybody needs to pick when they lean into fights. But this is an instance of, like, I'm going to lean into a fight and make it, like, the silliest of all possible options. And that's upsetting to me. Okay. So I got to give you guys, ooh, let me actually change my, I got to do it again. I got to change my, I got to keep remembering to change my light color, y'all. Got to keep remembering to change my light color. I should do a poll on whether or not you guys like this version of the studio better. I'll tell you, I really do like this version of the studio better so far. I think it's beautiful. So I got to give you guys an unfortunate update on what's happening with COVID-19. According to Raw Story, LA ambulances have stopped transporting some patients due to COVID strain. Um, This is a nightmare scenario. Los Angeles ambulances, uh, Los Angeles ambulance workers have been told to stop transporting some patients with extremely low survival chances to hospital and to limit oxygen use as record COVID cases overwhelm medical resources. California has emerged as the latest epicenter of the U.S. coronavirus pandemic with nearly 4,000 deaths in the last two weeks alone, and hospitals bracing for another surge expected from the holiday period. In Los Angeles, where packed hospitals have been turning away ambulances, medics were Monday instructed not to transport adult cardiac arrest patients if they cannot be resuscitated in the field. Jesus Christ. And they're saying you can't use oxygen unless you really, 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 really need it, and it's last resort. How long have we been in this pandemic for? How long have we been in this pandemic for? It's been a long time. It's been a very long time. You're telling me we didn't get to a place where we upped our resources, where we upped our capacity to respond, where we could handle any level of a surge? And the answer is obvious. The answer is, of course, no, we didn't. We didn't prepare properly. We didn't prepare properly at all. The federal government didn't prepare properly. The state governments didn't prepare properly. They just didn't. And here we are, nearly a year into the pandemic, and you have a situation where L.A. hospitals are at capacity. And just so you know, when you get to a place like we are right now, that is the thing that leads to even more deaths. Because if you keep the hospitals underburdened, like you, you don't surpass the point of no return where they're overburdened then you can treat the patients a lot better. And so then the survival chances go up. So now deaths are going to go up because they're overburdened. So I mean, listen, I blame everybody. I blame the federal government. I blame the state government. I blame the localities as well, although they're a little less blamed to go there because they don't have as much power. But I mean, this is just insane to me. I mean, you could, they're partying in Wuhan, China now. They're, they're having concerts and festivals because they defeated the coronavirus. You know, for a while there, New Zealand and Australia just defeated it. I get it. It's a different scenario. You know, they're islands that are sort of packed away, and they can control it better. I get all that stuff. But do we really have an excuse to be where we are here, where it's over 350,000 deaths now? We're probably going to pass half a million relatively quickly. Is there any excuse to be in that situation? No, there's not. No, there's not. So they didn't prepare. And then even at this late date, you're still having hospital surges that – are deadly, overburdening the systems. I mean, it's totally unacceptable. And then of course, the biggest problem is that we have the scientific ability to create the vaccine in record time, but we don't have the political ability to distribute it properly. And that's that's true. We don't have the ability to do that. I was, you know, we covered the numbers on this show, but it's infuriating. We have, they've only gotten out like 10 or 20% of the vaccines that they have. So they have all these vaccines sitting around and they need to be stored at, like, negative 77 degrees. So they got them sitting around. A lot of the vaccines are going bad, and they're slowly vaccinating people, and the plans are a mess. Apparently, Andrew Cuomo is one of the worst examples. He's vaccinating at a lower rate than almost every other state in the country. And he's micromanaging everything and ignoring the, you know, the advice of the experts. We're, we're in a terrible place right now. We need to have more organization. We need... To get these vaccines out the door, I mean, we might be at the point where do all the essential workers, try to get all the older people. But after that, yes, do say, hey, it's open for everybody. Because I'd rather have a vaccine go to a young, healthy person than a vaccine go bad. And a lot of the vaccines are going to go bad. So it's unbelievable. At every level, we've failed with this pandemic. We can't do the most basic things right in what's supposed to be the most powerful country in the world and the richest country in the world. This is what happens when you go decades and decades and decades. We have neoliberal rot. We have corruption that's rampant in the government. Nobody's actually attending to the basic needs. And I told you, even CNN admitted one of the reasons why, if not the main reason why, we're doing so bad with vaccine distribution, we don't have a national health care system. You don't have a national health care system. You don't have high-level coordination. Because everything's a, you know, a fractured, splintered breakdown of different networks and groups of hospitals where you don't, probably the, the state governments don't even know a lot of the people who run, own, operate a lot of these different hospitals. I mean, we have a system that's a joke. It's a giant scam. It's a scam on top of a scam within a scam. The health insurance companies are a mafia. Big Pharma is a mafia making 19 billion dollars on a covid vaccine that's what they're supposed to make next year i think it's moderna one of them is making 10 billion the other one's making 19 billion 80 percent 60 to 80 percent profit margin this, this is this whole thing's a joke it's a joke it's pathetic it's a joke and now people are dying as a result of it i told you guys i don't know exactly when i had the realization but the fact of the matter is there are no adults there are children in adult bodies and if we don't have The leadership and the processes in place in order to substantively address giant problems like a pandemic, this is the result. We're seeing it now.
3: Okay. Okay, baby. Okay, baby.
1: Now we're going to show the Florida governor and who he is trying to copy. You can take a guess. So Florida's governor, Ron DeSantis, was doing a press conference the other day, and um, he was asked a question from a journalist, and this went viral. They're back and forth here. For obvious reasons, you're going to see why it went viral. This was a pretty testy exchange.
4: Out of the vaccine, that we've seen phone lines jammed, websites crashed. There's a lot of demand. And I also, mean, I think at the I, end of the day, I, if we, if excuse, I, excuse, my, could, excuse if me, excuse me. If I could finish my you question. You just said
2: what has gone wrong, so I'm answering the question. If
4: I could complete the question, though. So you're going to give could, a
2: speech or you're going to ask a question?
4: With all due respect, Governor, you I'm going to I'm I'm trying answer a question. You're questions. not stoic. No, you're,
2: you're, you're giving a speech. You asked the question.
4: I am trying to ask you the.
2: You're going to ask how many questions? You get three? They only got one question. Why do you get three? With
4: all due respect, Governor, I'm just asking if I could finish my question. You didn't You my, finished the question. I did not. My full question is what went wrong with the rollout of the vaccine when we've seen phone lines jammed, websites So you're crashing, repeating your question. To complete it for you, Governor, we've seen websites crash and also senior citizens waiting overnight for the vaccine. Where was that at? We've seen it in Duval, Broward, Orange, and Lee County. Why
2: was, like in Lee, why did that happen? Did you investigate that's,
4: why? That's my question to you, Governor. You're the governor of the state. I'm not the governor of the state.
2: Okay, but you didn't investigate why that, like in Lee County, why, why was there a big line? Did you did you investigate why?
4: Could you tell us why? Because
2: we, we distributed vaccine to hospitals, and, and the hospital said, first come, first serve. If you show up, we'll do it. So they didn't use a registration system. There wasn't anything that was done. And there's a lot of demand for it. So people are gonna to want to so go are you ahead saying and uh, there was no and get plan
4: it. then from the state to make sure that senior citizens didn't wait outside overnight?
2: So the state is not dictating to hospitals how we're not dictating to Carlos Magoya how he runs his operations here. That would be a total disaster. These guys are much more competent to be able to deliver health care services than a state government could ever be.
1: So first of all, I have to say about this, it's pretty clear to me he's doing a Trump impression. Like his whole political shtick now is just to copy Trump. And one of the main reasons I say that is it's the exact same mannerisms. Now, to be fair, Trump has now, you know, seeped into the mannerisms of like every political person on the planet, whether it's me, other political commentators online, um, in the media, other politicians. There's definitely this thing where some of his hand motions Some of his hand motions, like where he goes like this all the time. That now has just become part of everybody's repertoire because when you watch it enough, it just sort of rubs off on you, okay? So I want to give him a pass to some extent, but I also don't because it's clear that he's copied all of Trump's mannerisms. Like the whole thing was just every one of Trump's like patented moves, hand motions, is what Ron DeSantis is doing. So I think he, just like Marco Rubio, just like Ted Cruz, just like others, He's made an active decision. I am going to be like Trump. That's the first point. Second point is, and this one might surprise you guys a little bit. I actually don't think he's wrong in this back and forth. So was he being a dick to the reporter? Yeah, he was. But his, his answer to her question was, the reason why there are lines is we got the vaccines to the hospital, and the hospital said, we're going to do first come, first serve. Anybody can get the vaccine. If you want to show up and get it, show up and get it. And so if you say that in the middle of a pandemic, of course there's going to be lines. There's absolutely going to be. There's no escaping that. Everybody wants the vaccine. Now, why do I actually side with DeSantis on this? Well, very simply, we see what it's like when you don't do it like that. And New York is an example of that. And New York has vaccinated fewer people than Florida. I mean, that's the problem, right? Like, So if if I was emperor and I got to make the decisions for the vaccine, I would have thought was let's Let's have a federal system set up where people can get the vaccine from the federal government at certain places. Let's also get it to the states. Let's make sure all the hospitals get it. So you would set it up and you'd say it's essential workers first and basically older people and people who are immunocompromised. Now, if in the process of doing that, you're not nearly hitting the numbers that you need to hit, and they're not. They're not hitting the numbers they need to hit, and a lot of the vaccines are going to go bad. Well then you make the decision very quickly okay this isn't working we're not vaccinating enough people and so then i would say okay first come first serve let's get the vaccine everywhere distributed by the states distributed by the individual hospitals distributed by the federal government there should be there should be areas designated in every state where it's federally ran and you federally run and people can go get the vaccine so in other words I actually think this is what you should be doing at this point. If everything was going too slowly before with the finely tuned plans and vaccines are going to go bad, yeah, open it up to everybody for sure. Now, the only criticism of him that might be legitimate is, and this is of the federal government too, so you're delegating this stuff to the hospitals and saying you guys go and you guys do the administering of the vaccines. Well, one way that you reduce the lines is to also have state facilities that you guys run where you can do the vaccines and also have the federal government step in and have federal facilities where they could administer the vaccines. So you could have state-run facilities, federal-run facilities, and you can have the hospitals that are already there, which are you know, a terrible mix of all these different networks run by different uh, people. So that's a criticism of him that, that's legitimate. Hey, why don't you have state-run areas where you could get the vaccine? Because then he probably doesn't have an answer for that because he hasn't planned for that, so he'd be wrong on that front. But to blame him for the line, I actually don't agree with that. Because, yeah, if they are opening it up to everybody, which is the right thing to do right now, since a lot of the vaccines are going to go bad, you're going to have lines. It's going to happen. There's there's no way around it. And a lot of people who waited on that line for 24 hours to get their vaccine are so really freaking happy they got to get a vaccine. So, anyway, um, he's copying Trump. He's a little obnoxious. He wants to fight the media. But, ultimately, the place we're at now with the vaccines, Yes, open it up to everybody, give it to all the hospitals, all the clinics, have state-run facilities, have federally-run facilities, and let's get this vaccine out to everybody as soon as possible. We already tried the slow approach and the nitpicking certain demographic groups. It's not working. It's time to go all in. It's time to do a full court press. We are going to do another story, baby. Final story of the day. By the way, I'm very excited for uh, Crystal Kyle and friends this week. You're not going to want to miss that. You are not going to want to miss that. Okay. This story is really something else, if I don't say so myself. Pennsylvania Republicans refuse to swear in Democratic senator whose GOP opponent keeps fighting. I fucked that up. Hold on. Okay. Let me try that one more time. So this story shows how um, Trump's approach to politics is now being used by other Republicans, and it's getting ugly. Pennsylvania Republicans refuse to swear in Democratic senator whose GOP opponent keeps fighting defeat. So here's what happened. There was a close election in Pennsylvania. The Democrat won. The Republican is saying, no, I don't care that you won. I disagree. And so now, apparently, according to the rules in Pennsylvania, your opponent has to concede in order for you to be sworn in. And this person is just refusing to concede. So the Democrat can't be sworn in. Now, it's a little more complicated than that, because when you look at the the details, apparently there's a dispute over the mail-in ballots, where there's like 311 mail-in ballots or something like that, that don't have the date on them, And, but they were counted, but the Republicans saying, no, you're not allowed to count them because in another part of the county or whatever, if it doesn't have the date, it doesn't count. So these don't have the date, but they do count. But he's trying to say, no, 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 use the other rule for the other place here too, because it's got to be uniform. So this violates the equal protection clause of the constitution. Like they have an argument that they're making. Do I agree with the argument? No, I think the Republicans are wrong, but they have an argument that they're making. But now they're taking from Trump's playbook and they're just going, I don't care that you won. I don't care that the court sided with the Democrat. I'm just going to not step down. What? So, listen, i got to be honest with you guys. I don't know what the hell is going to happen from here. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know who's going to be seated. I don't know how they're going to resolve this. If it already went to the court and the court sided with the Democrat, but the Republican needs to step down and they're not stepping down, I don't know what's going to happen. I have no idea. But what we're seeing here is I really do think we've crossed a line that previously – It was unimaginable to have crossed, unimaginable, unimaginable to have crossed the sorts of lines that we now regularly cross with Trump pretending like, you know, he didn't lose the election, um, trying every which way to undermine the actual results. And now you're seeing a lot of people at the state level, probably at the local level, too, doing similar things. And all I could say is I hope that this is not a trend that stays the same or gets worse because it it does feel like a very, very basic fundamental building block and cornerstone of democracy is like, yeah, even when you lose, you go, okay, I lost. We live to fight another day. But a lot of people now are just like, no, I don't agree. Seems like a terrible path to be going down. Um, I don't want to get too doom and gloom because ultimately I think Trump will be kicked out of the White House, and ultimately the Democrat probably will be seated, but for the love of God, man, It's getting ugly, and it's getting creepy, and it's getting authoritarian out there. And um, I really hope we can overcome this stuff. Okay. Um, All right, let me do a final final little segment. It's just another thank you for uh, Crystal, Kyle, and friends. Do I want to tease who the next guest is? I don't think I want to tease who it is. Yeah, I don't think I want to tease. Anyway, here we go. So um, I'm still over the moon excited with the official rollout of Crystal Kyle and Friends and how well it's been received. The video almost has 400,000 views at this point, which is just out of this world. Honestly, that's way more videos than I would normally get on a secular talk video. So obviously there's a lot of interest in it. Um, Again, I'm super excited and I'm super thankful that you guys have taken to it as much as you have. So again, I'm going to always have to repeat this so people who are new to this um, learn about it, but the way Crystal and Kyle and the way Crystal, Kyle, and friends works is very simple. Um, the audio is free for everybody. The audio is free for everybody. It'll always remain free for everybody. We've made it as ad-free as humanly possible. If there are any ads, it's because Google wants to take their cut and they jump in and throw an ad on it. But I've disabled all the ads on the back end for us. No ads, free audio for everybody. If you want to, you could tip us for doing the show because we're fully listener-funded. And it's $5 a month, and that gets you the video of the podcast, and it gets you the video a day early. So, again, I'll leave the link in the video description box for our Substack. If you sign up with our Substack, on top of getting the, the video and getting it a day early, you also get some newsletters as well. So, um, I'm, again, I'm really excited for the guests that we have coming up. I'm not going to spoil anything right now, but uh, I think you guys will love a lot of the guests that we have coming up too. I can say this. A lot of the guests who you guys are saying, you need to have this person on the podcast, the answer is yes. The answer is yes. We're going to get the overwhelming majority of the people who you say, you have to have this person on. Yes, we're going to get those people on. Okay? So it's, I think it's going to be wonderful. Um, but anyway, yet again, I want to thank you guys from the bottom of my heart. It's been an amazing rollout. I'm still super excited to continue doing this and to um, have these interviews and have these discussions. And um, yeah, let's go get it, man. Okay. We're done, y'all. We're done. I love you. I will see you guys very shortly on Crystal Kyle and Friends. Very exciting new addition to the repertoire, to the rotation, I should say. So, yeah, I'll talk to you guys soon.